Hear the word of the Lord from Proverbs chapter 1, verse 1 through 7. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. To know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness, justice, and equity, to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. Let the wise hear and increase in learning, and the one who understands obtain guidance. To understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you for your word. We thank you for, for wisdom that comes from you and you alone. I just pray, God, we just pray for Brandon as he comes to preach today, that God, you would just fill him with your words and that he may proclaim it boldly. In Jesus' name, amen. Men, you may be seated. It was, uh, it was an extremely hot day in Ensenada, Mexico. And my brother and I, we had uh, gone, gone down there. We, uh, we joined a team of men who threw a bunch of tools in the back of a truck. And we were going down there with one purpose, to build a house, an entire house in the period of four days. And uh, this house would be given to people who had been living in a little shack, kind of made out of tarps. And my brother and I, we didn't have a whole lot of like building experience. So mostly we just tried to help where we could and stay out of the way of the people who really knew what they were doing. But at one point they gave us a task, and that was to attach plywood to the roof of this structure. So my brother and I, we had brought our hammers from home, and we, we got busy. We climbed up on a ladder, and we started to uh, attach uh, the boards to the roof. And you would think that just hitting a nail with a hammer would be a simple enough job, but it turned out that we weren't very good at it. Like, every nail was bending, and we were spending way more time pulling nails out than we were putting nails in. And after a time, the foreman of the project, he came to kind of check on our, you know, lack of progress. And uh, he was such a gracious man. It was, it was humbling, but uh, he was patient. He was grateful that we were there. And he showed us uh, some things. Uh, he said, look, climb higher on the ladder. If you, if you climb higher on the ladder, you can get a better angle. You can have more control over what you're doing. And then he said, look, hold the, hold the hammer down at the bottom of the handle, not higher up. He says, it, it feels like you have less control, but it lets, all the, it lets the weight of the hammer do all the work for you. And then the last thing he said was, get rid of those little hammers. Not all hammers are made equal. And he went and got us two framing hammers. And it made all the difference in the world. Before long, we were putting nails in with one satisfying whack at a time, and we were going at 10 times the speed we had been going before. This is a, a moment of mentoring. And I think it illustrates this idea of, 
of applying biblical wisdom to whatever task we have ahead of us. And it reinforces this idea that those with wisdom and understanding can pass that along uh, to others. You know, the first thing I did when I got home from that trip was I went to Home Depot and I bought myself a framing hammer. See, there, it was a tiny kind of moment in, in the life of that foreman, but for me, it was kind of transformative. It set me on a track of, I began to love to do things for myself. My wife and I, we became like do-it-yourselfers. There are all kinds of things that we have done in our house now that we would ordinarily have paid someone else to do. It changed my life. When we run into something now that we don't know what to do, we, we just find mentors who can help us or show us, or we go to the mentor of all mentors, which is YouTube. <laughs> so today we, we begin a summer series in the book of Proverbs, and I love the book of Proverbs, but at, at first glance, it appears just to be a collection of like little witty sayings, right? Like the kind of thing that we see on, on bumper stickers or, you know, like God is my co-pilot or something. Or we see things like spray painted on walls or like protest signs. But the Proverbs, they're not just, they're not just clever memes. They're not just slogans. They are the very word of God. And this... This beautiful book of Proverbs, it's a collection of wisdom. It's, it's practical advice about how we can have reverence or fear of the Lord that guides our steps in the Christian life. Now, we only have nine weeks in this series, so we're not going to have time to go through every verse of this book. But here's one of the absolute coolest things about the book of Proverbs is it has exactly 31 chapters. It's like God designed it for us to just be able to read through it in a month, right? One chapter a day for a month, and you have read the entirety of Proverbs. What if we all did that in June? We'd have to leak over to one day in July, but we could do it in June. Now, what we need to understand about the Proverbs, though, is that reading it, reading through Proverbs, is not going to make us wise. We could read it every month. We could memorize it. We could believe that every little bit of it is true, and that still wouldn't necessarily make us wiser. Because you see, like all good things that are worth having, Wisdom is something that God does in us. It's something that he gives to us. And so this morning, what I want to focus on is, like, how do we go about gaining wisdom as we go through this book of Proverbs? Today, we're going to look at who wrote Proverbs, and then we're going to look at what the first six verses kind of say is its purpose. And then we're going to wrap it up by just looking at the very first proverb that we encounter so, the author of Proverbs. The first verse of Proverbs tells us that the author is Solomon. Solomon, King Solomon, was the son of King David. Now, there's actually a few people who have contributed to the authorship of Proverbs, but Solomon did uh, write the bulk of it. And it's not really surprising that he would put together a collection of wise teachings 
Because wisdom was kind of Solomon's superpower. There was a moment in his life where where, uh, something amazing happened, and I want to look at that uh, this morning. We can find it in 1 Kings chapter 3. I'll read it to us. It says, At Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night, and God said, Ask what I shall give you. And Solomon said, You have shown great and steadfast love to your servant David, my father. And he went on to kind of recount about how God was faithful to David. And then in verse 7, he he picks up, it says, And now, O Lord my God, you have made your servant king in place of David, my father. Although I am but a little child, I do not know how to go out or come in. And your servant is in the midst of your people whom you have chosen, a great people, too many to be numbered or counted for multitude. Give your servant, therefore, an understanding mind to govern your people that I may discern between good and evil. For who is able to govern this, your great people? It pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this. And God said to him, because you have asked this and have not asked for yourself long life or riches or the life of your enemies, but have asked for yourself understanding to discern what is right, Behold, I now do according to your word. Behold, I give you a wise and discerning mind so that none like you has been before you and none like you shall arise after you. I give you also what you've not asked, both riches and honor, so that no other king shall compare with you all your days. And if you will walk in my ways, keeping my statutes and my commandments as your father David walked, then I will lengthen your days. Now, am I the only one who thought about genies when we read this? <laughs> I know I'm not because the, earlier this week I asked the staff team, like, what would you ask of God if he made this offer to you? And Patrick immediately said, I'd ask for infinite wishes. <laughs> See, I think God knows how this game is played. He knew that most people were going to ask for long life or wealth or power. But Solomon, he asked for something greater than all of that. He asked for wisdom. So let's just kind of look at the highlights of the story. Solomon begins by remembering all that God had done for his father. And then he acknowledges that God had given him a calling to something greater than himself. To be the king of God's chosen people. And then he kind of humbly admits that he's not up to that task. He's too young. He's probably 19 or 20 at the time. He's too young. He's too inexperienced. And the job is way, way too complex. And so he asks God to give him what he needs to be able to do a good job at what God has called him to. And finally, we see that that pleases God. And he, he gives him what he asked for, plus much, much more. This is the author of this book of Proverbs. This man, this incredibly wise man. It says no one will ever be as wise as he was. What a gift we have in the books that Solomon has written for us. But now we have this question in front of us. is How do we access that wisdom? Because I don't think God is going to show up in our dreams and grant us free wishes. But the reality of it is we're all in that same boat 
that Solomon was in. It's true, probably most of us won't be called to lead a nation of God's chosen people, right? But we've all been called to something. Every month we, we bring someone up here on stage for our This Time Tomorrow segment. The, the whole idea of it is what is it, what is it that you're doing throughout the rest of the week and how is that connected to your faith and your church? It's not just kings and pastors who are called to do God's work. It's all of us. And if we're humble like Solomon, we have, to, we have to acknowledge that we have limitations that make accomplishing whatever we're called to near impossible. And I think that's by design. I think God wants us to learn to rely on him. So take a moment and just think about your own calling. Maybe you have a clear idea of kind of what God has called you to. Maybe you're still kind of figuring it out, or maybe it's in flux, or maybe you've never thought about it before this moment. But just take a moment and think about your calling. And then think about what are your limitations? What is it about you where you feel like, man, I'm just not the person for this job. I'm just not called, or I'm just not equipped for this calling. Have you asked God to give you wisdom in this area? See, God isn't going to come to us. He's not a, a, a cosmic genie who grants wishes, right? But the thing about wisdom is God offers it to us freely. And all we have to do is ask for it. And we see this in James 1, verses 5 through 8. It says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given him. What a promise. But then it goes on to say this, but let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. So, a beautiful, wonderful promise from God, but then we read on and we see like, well, well, wait a minute, is this even attainable? Is this even doable? I mean, who could possibly ask God for wisdom without any doubt? I don't know about you, but I always doubt. When I'm praying, I'm always like, I don't know if God's going to do this. I don't know if God's going to say yes. I don't know if God's going to do what his word says he's going to do. I have those doubts. Does that mean I can never get wisdom from my God? I don't think so. And so I looked at this verse a little more closely this week, and I found out that a key to this verse is the word that is being translated as uh, generously. See, in the, in the Greek, this word is haplos, and it only occurs once in all of Scripture right here in this verse. But if you look at the Greek translation of the Old Testament in the Septuagint, we see that this word is used 11 times. And in all 11 instances, it is not translated as generously. It is translated as either some form of sincerity or some form of integrity. And so what I think James is saying here is that God gives wisdom 
with a singleness of purpose. And then he goes on to contrast that against the doubter who is double-minded, actually double-souled. It's a picture of someone who has a divided heart. James is developing a theme here. And then if we look at the word that's used for doubting, we see that, that it's not a word that is talking about like everyday doubts. It's a strong kind of doubt, a division within a person. The Apostle Paul in Romans 4.20 uses that same word when he talks about Abraham. He says, no unbelief made him waver. Now, those of you who've been coming for a while, we've been looking at the life of Abraham for the last several weeks, right? That dude wavered, right? He had a lot of doubt. He doubted that God was going to fulfill his promise. So what is Paul talking about? What is James talking about? Well, theologian Douglas Moo says it really, really well. He says this, Paul's point is not that Abraham never entertained any doubt about God's promise, but that Abraham over many years displayed a consistency in his faith in God. James is not then here claiming that prayers will never be answered when any degree of doubt exists. Rather, he wants us to understand that God responds to us only when our lives reflect a basic consistency of purpose and intent, a spiritual integrity. The doubter is that person who is prey to the shifting winds of motive and desire. You know, he wants wisdom from God one day, and he wants wisdom from the world the next. I used to have a coworker. She was a sweet, a sweet young woman. Uh, she was a, a new believer, and she kept telling me, like, Brandon, I'm, I'm praying, and I'm praying, and I'm asking God what I should do in my life, but I never hear any answer. And she goes, so I always call the psychic hotline because they give me an answer right away. See, she had not yet learned that discipline of listening for God's voice or meditating on his words or abiding in him and trusting in his Holy Spirit. I think back then she, she had a divided heart. I think that she was a doubter. So what do you do when you need wisdom in your life? Do you, do you consistently turn to the Lord to seek out wisdom or do you seek out the wisdom of the world? I think God intends for us to ask him for wisdom consistently, constantly. And I think most often his, his answers to us come through his word. Whether, it, whether you're reading it or you're hearing it preached or you're, you're with some of God's people who are reminding you of God's word as they are discipling you. And I think this is why our time in, in this book of Proverbs this summer is going to be time well spent. Is that we can ask God to give us wisdom as we delve into the wisdom literature. And we can expect to receive it as we learn to consistently seek it from him alone. So let's get back to it, to our text in Proverbs 1. Let's look at the goals of Proverbs. Verse 2 of our text tells us the main goals that Solomon had in writing Proverbs. He wanted the reader of Proverbs to gain two things. The first is knowledge of wisdom and instruction, 
And the second is understanding of words of insight. So let's look at knowledge of wisdom and instruction first. A quick word study of the Hebrew word for wisdom shows us that what we're talking about is more than just head knowledge. And it's more than just this idea that we would have like a moral understanding of what is right and wrong. It's, it's more complex than that. We, when we look at it in other places in Scripture, it begins to, to show us this really beautiful picture of what wisdom is. It, the word is used in, in Exodus and Jeremiah. In those two places, it, it's translated as skill. And, it, and it's talking about the people that are like, master craftsmen, people who know what they are doing inside and out. It's talking about the man who, who God supernaturally gave the ability to, to do what needed to be done to build his tabernacle. In Jeremiah, it's talking about goldsmiths who are, who are crafting beautiful, artistic things. In the Psalms, this word is used to describe how sailors can navigate their ship using only the winds and the tides. It's like an art form. It's not something you can just like read about and go do. It's, you've got to learn it through experience. The preacher Raymond Ortland Jr. describes it like this. Wisdom is skill, expertise, competence that understands how life really works how to achieve successful and even beautiful results. And he goes on to give a, a, a kind of simple um, explanation of wisdom uh, by contrasting like in a football game. If people just show up on the field and they're ready to play and they're just hoping it goes well, right? And then wisdom is contrasted against that as the the team that shows up that has a game plan, right? They've taken into account all the, the psychology and the skills and the timing, and they've developed a strategy that will help them win that game. That's the difference between just knowledge and wisdom. Wisdom is complex and holistic, and it's born of experience, and that's why it is paired up with instruction. Maybe another word we could use for instruction is uh, discipline. It takes discipline to become wise. That's why so many of us never do it. And verse 3 tells us that we have to receive instruction. We receive this discipline. It's not something that we do in ourselves. It requires a, a humbling of ourselves a submission to a work that God wants to do within us. Hebrews 12, 6 tells us that God disciplines those whom he loves. And then as he gently and lovingly chastises us or corrects us or helps us learn how to deny ourselves, that's when we become willing to change, willing to learn. This is how we become wise. The second uh, purpose of Proverbs is understanding of words of insight. I think so often we approach Scripture looking for quick answers to whatever problems are facing us. Some of us, we just want like simple rules to follow. Just tell me what I need 
to do and not do. Some of us are looking for step-by-step instructions on how we can succeed in the victorious Christian life. I think Solomon wanted more for us. He wanted to give us something that, our, that we really had to sink our teeth into, something that we were going to have to chew on for a while. And I think this is why he chose Proverbs as the kind of vehicle for, for putting wisdom out there. He calls them sayings and riddles. You've got to spend time with them. You've got to mull them over. You've got to, you've got to turn them around and look at them from different angles and see what God brings to light. And then we've got to test them out and see the truth of them for ourselves. Insightful understanding, it comes from experience. I think about the relationship between a a parent and a child, right? Children don't understand uh, why there are these limits on their freedom. Babies don't know why we put that baby gate at the top of the stairs. You know, our friends... Uh, little kids don't know why it's like, hey, you, you need to be home when, the, when it starts to get dark or whatever rules we're putting around them for their safety. The teenager in love, right, doesn't understand why the parent who has experienced heartbreak wants them to be so much more cautious. This kind of leads into our next point, which is really just like, who, who is the audience of Proverbs? Who, who did Solomon intend the Proverbs to be written for? Is it just for like the simple people who, who need to be taught stuff, or is it for more than that? And I, I think that verses four and five make it clear that the Proverbs are for everyone. They are a great tool for those of us who are older and more experienced. We can, we can use the Proverbs to disciple those Uh, who are young and simple. But verse uh, 5 points out that the wise still have more learning to do and that those who have understanding still require guidance. All right, that's been a whole lot of setup. We finally got to our very first proverb, the beginning of knowledge. Proverbs 1.7 says this, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Now, right away, many of us are going to have a question about this proverb, right? I said, well, how is being afraid of God the beginning of anything good? And that's a good question. And this is exactly what I was just talking about. Like, we, we've got to spend some time with this proverb. We've got to mull it over a little bit. We've got to try and look at it in a new way. Now, the thing about proverbs is they're, they're generally, typically written as Hebrew poetry. And that means they come in two lines, a couplet. And there's an A line and there's a B line. And the B line will usually provide some amount of clarity about the A line the line that comes before it. In other words, we can use the second half of this proverb to better understand the first half. We're told that fools despise wisdom and instruction. Despise means to have contempt for. These fools, they don't see the value in gaining wisdom through discipline, right? Because nobody likes discipline, 
and discipline is hard, and it's probably painful, and who would want that? That's the foolish way of thinking. But if the fool is the opposite of what we see in the first line, this can be a big clue to the meaning of the phrase, the fear of the Lord. So often when we encounter this phrase, the fear of the Lord, we think of stern fathers who are, who are coming to punish us for wrongdoing. You wait till your father gets home. And then we go sit in our room and we, and we are afraid. Dad's going to come home. He's going to be so angry with me. But the fear of the Lord can't mean that we're cringing away from him because we're scared, because that's what we were just told that fools do. They cringe away from uh, wisdom through discipline. Instead of contempt, we have reverence for God. The fear of the Lord is an eagerness to please him. So like Solomon, he was so eager to get a gift that would help him do well in his God-given calling. Like Abraham, who was willing to obey God even if it cost him his precious son. Remember when God stopped Abraham from, from using the knife? What did he say to him? He said, now I know you fear God seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. Solomon cleverly uses this very first proverb to invite us onto this journey into wisdom. And it begins with us being eager to please God, to humbly submit ourselves to his care and his control. But the fear of the Lord is, it's a tricky thing. It, it's so easy. It's so easy for us to cross that line from reverence for him to being afraid of him. Some of us, we're, we're afraid to approach God because we know that our lives have not been God-honoring. That we've done things in our lives and we think, man, this will make God very angry with me. It reminds me of a story, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe by C.S. Lewis. As many of you probably know, in the story, Jesus is represented by a great lion named Aslan. And the children in the story, they're told about Aslan by a talking beaver and his wife. I'll read a little passage of it to you. Is, is he a man... Asked Lucy. Aslan, a man, said Mr. Beaver sternly. Certainly not. I tell you, he is the king of the wood and the son of the great emperor beyond the sea. Don't you know who is the king of beasts? Aslan is a lion, the lion, a great lion. Oh, said Susan, I thought he was a man. Is he quite safe? I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. That you will, dearie, and no mistake, said Mrs. Beaver. If there's anyone who can appear before Aslan without their knees knocking, they're either braver than most or else just silly. Then he isn't safe, said Lucy. Safe, said Mr. Beaver. 
Don't you hear what Mrs. Beaver tells you? Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. He's the king, I tell you. Jesus is so very good. And here's the truth. All of us, every one of us has fallen short of the goodness of God. All of us deserve his wrath and his displeasure. But Jesus himself said this, God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Jesus came to us. He lived this sinless, perfect life that that we could never live. And he died a sinner's death on our behalf, paying the penalty for our sin. And he rose again from the dead, and now he is seated at the right hand of the Father, where he intercedes for us, for me, and for you. That's the good news of the gospel. God is not a stern father waiting for the opportunity to punish you. His wrath has already been satisfied by the death of Jesus. And no matter what it is you've done, no matter what it is you're afraid to show him, all he has for those who believe is love and forgiveness. I hope that you'll join me in coming before him this summer as we get deeper into this book of Proverbs. I hope you'll, you'll join me in coming before him with our knees knocking as we eagerly asked him to lead us in wisdom through his loving discipline. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, we love you. We, we love that you love us. We are so grateful for the gift of your wisdom, for the gift of uh, your word, and for your promise that you will give us wisdom if we ask. Lord, would you make us consistent people, single-minded people as you are? Would you help us not to stray from side to side trying to find wisdom in the wrong places? Lord, we know we won't be perfect, but that's why you died for us. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.